Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week I am joined by Marjorie Chamberlain. Marjorie is an incredible site engineer manager and has just decided to go back to university to do further training, which is quite exciting actually. Marjorie, would you like to introduce yourself please? Uh, yes, hello, my name is Marjorie Chamberlain. I am 51 years old and as Michelle said, I'm just about to go back to university at the ripe old age of 51. So that's quite daunting in some aspects, but really exciting to look forward to. And I have worked predominantly in my career in oil and gas and recently moved into manufacturing, but always within the engineering and reliability space. My bachelor's degree is in mechanical engineering so I am a mechanical engineer. Okay so you're going back to university are you excited about doing that? I am it'll be really interesting so I'm going back to study renewables and sustainable energy which obviously is forefront in the world at the moment but I see it as a fabulous opportunity to be in to something new or what is coming up new and exciting, but it is also quite daunting having to think about retraining and learning all of those new skills and remembering them for exams. Okay. So what made you decide to go back to university after quite a large gap? Well, I originally went to university to do my bachelor's quite late on in life. I was 26 when I did my bachelor's rather than the traditional 18. So always been one to book the trend about when you should do these things. Or you could just say I'm a late bloomer. But it was, I don't know whether it was a function or, or a bit around my age and needing something new, wanting to diversify I guess a bit learn something new have some new challenges in life and getting a bit tired of climbing the corporate ladder if you like wanting to get a bit more hands-on again rather than the people management part of it which in my last few roles has been quite a lot of it so I think age has kind of hit me in that respect it's kind of like well, I just don't want to do that sort of thing anymore I want to get back to give myself an easier life if you like not have to deal with all of the line management side of it but get back to my core discipline of engineering and this was a I had an opportunity of a reorganization and redundancy potential so I decided to go for that and look at what I could do at university to as I say give me something new to look at a refresh from the grind on a day-to-day -day basis and then come back renewed in a couple of years' time back into a slightly different industry. Okay, so how long is your course going to be take? Is it an MSc that you're doing? Yes, it's an MSc, but it's got it's an advanced practice one, so it's a two-year course. So the first year is the taught side of the MSc, and then the second year is being involved in research. When I was thinking about going back to university, I had originally just thought about doing an MSc. And then one of my nibblings, Beck, is doing a PhD in history. So there was a lot of support and, oh, well, I've thought about doing a PhD. So I did look into it and I did apply for a couple of them. But unfortunately, I wasn't successful. So that kind of set me on the path of thinking about research a bit more as well, thinking about going and doing a PhD. Um, again, not sure at the moment whether after my master's I want to do to head more into the research side. As I say, for the last 20 odd years, I've been working in industry, in an operational side of life and 
want a different pace, want something different to do. So research might be the bit that is the exciting new thing that I want to get into. And this course offers me at least a, a taster of that being involved in it and seeing whether it is something that I want to do. And with it being part of the master's course, it is that start of that experience of research for any future jobs as well. Okay, sounds amazing. So you're looking forward to, to going back then? I am, yes. Start at the end of September. I've got my uni bag all sorted and I've got my computer, got my pens and pencils and my notebooks. <laughs> I just need my school, my uni uniform now and then I'll be sorted. It'll be great. <laughs> no, I think it'll be amazing, actually. It sounds exciting, actually, and an exciting time to do it, actually. Because sustainability is quite a huge thing just now. It is. It's the way the world needs to go. There is no, no two ways about it. I have spent 20 years in the oil and gas industry, mm. and I was very fortunate to have got that opportunity in the first instance. And that came about from the, the university I went to to do my bachelor's. With going to university later in life, I have never. Um, considered doing a sandwich course, a thick sandwich course and taking a year out to go to industry just because of the length of time it would take and also because I didn't have the necessary qualifications to get onto my bachelor's, I needed to do a foundation year. So what starts off as a three-year course turns into a four-year course with the foundation year. The university did thick sandwich courses which would have taken it to five years and it was like I'm not really sure I can you know justify taking five years out of work to go to university but I was very lucky I was encouraged by the university and they had very close ties with Shell in Aberdeen and the people that came down from Shell to do the interviews in the year prior to when I would have been applying spoke to me about it as well and they encouraged me to go for it. So I, took, I did a year out with Shell and then was fortunate enough to be offered a position afterwards, after I'd finished my degree. So my, I went into my final year quite a lot more relaxed than many final year students because I already had a job offer which was great. And then I moved up to Aberdeen, had some fabulous opportunities at Shell, moved to some other companies and then finished my oil and gas career down in Easington in Yorkshire in Centrica Storage. And that was just as COVID was hitting and they were doing a reorganisation and I was maintenance manager for the onshore site there. And they there was an, they were doing a reorganisation. They had one maintenance manager onshore, one maintenance manager offshore, and they wanted to merge the roles. And it had been my, or I had been around about that time, planning on moving back to the northeast of England longer term, which is where my family is. So I took that opportunity to go, right, okay, well, I'm going to move. I'm going to do it now rather than stay in the role that, well, not obviously a apply for the role that was being offered and then you know seeing what happened unfortunately as it was in the middle of COVID or at the beginning of COVID a lot of places weren't employing so I actually ended up at a manufacturing plant on the northwest coast so I was slightly closer to home <laughs> but still not there so it, again that was something that was playing in the background of my mind when this recent reorganisation at AMCOR came up um, and decided, no, I'm definitely going to do it this time. And yes, the marketplace or the, the job market is very different now. It's a different landscape from the middle of COVID. But I need to retrain. I had applied during my during COVID for a couple of jobs in the northeast around renewables because it was something I fancied getting into at that point but they were looking for someone with more experience around renewables so the last couple of years has been 
kind of in the back of my head, always thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. then again, took the opportunity of now, I really need, I really want to do this. I really need to do it. So I just need to stop procrastinating about it and do it. Jump in wholeheartedly, both feet, take the opportunity that's there. But then that would be, a lot of people would maybe find that scary because when you hear that there's going to be a reorganisation and it just fills everybody with dread, it does. It does. And I think it is about how many times it's happened to you in the past or how many times you have taken your own future into your own hands and moved companies. You know, and if you've done that, you know, so as I said, I went, I started working at Shell. I had a number of different, did they graduate programs? So you you do a number of different positions in, in the organization. I had just come out of my graduate training or not long out of my graduate training with them when they sold off the fields that I was working or they put up for sale the fields that I was working on. So that was a that was very unsettling and that was very scary. And that was the first time that happened to me. And it was, you know, I, re- I remember being very shocked, almost just going through going through the motions of life and work without, you know, really putting any thought into it. It was just, you know, deer in the headlights for a number of weeks. But then I decided, well, actually, I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, because what, what had been decided, there was a, because they were selling the fields, they were, a lot of people were going to be too paid over to the new businesses. Because I was a recent graduate, or I just recently, I was I'd just come out of my graduate training scheme, they made some exceptions to for certain groups of people, one of which were either their current graduate graduate trainees or those just out of their graduate training and they said well actually what we'll do with you know had different rules for different sets of people and the graduates and the people just out of the graduate training were going to be offered jobs elsewhere within Shell but it would not be based in Aberdeen that was very clear it couldn't be based in Aberdeen it would have to be elsewhere in the world and they would look for three rules and you would, so they would then, then offer you the rules and you could pick one. But it wasn't, here's all of the jobs that are available, which ones do you want? They would select three. And it was like, again, you've got all of this going on in your head around, well, actually, where could I end up? What what part of the world And that for me, you know, certainly for me at that point was really quite scary. So I made a conscious decision that I would go out and have a look for another job somewhere else. Now, whether in hindsight that was the best thing that I ever did, I don't know. But it was right for me at the time. And having made that conscious decision that, no, I'm going to take decisions about my life back in my hands, then all of that uncertainty, all of that deer in the headlights type feelings subsided. I won't say they went away completely because I still needed to find a job, but it settled me a lot. And then I got another job. So I moved companies and stayed in Aberdeen, which is what I felt at the time that I wanted to do. Moved to various different companies throughout my career. And having done that, I felt it set me up quite better for the next time round when it was a slightly different circumstances, but a reorganisation and redundancies because I knew I could get a job. I knew I would be able to take my skill sets and everything that I'd learned and get another job. So it was like, instead of being the court in the headlights, it was right, okay, so what do I want to do? And because I had already been thinking about it for about a year or two, where I was thinking, what do I want to do? Do I want to keep moving around the country for jobs or do I want to, you know, and I'd come to the decision over, as I say, over a period of time that I wanted to move my home back to the northeast of England 
And therefore, once I had a home, I would look for the right job. And when the right job came up, I would move my job. So I was already in the mindset at that time as well, which I think helped of what is it that I want for my life right now? So, yes, it was sooner than I had anticipated. It wasn't in the way that I had wanted it and planned it in my head. But it was like, well, actually, here's an think of it as an opportunity to now do what I wanted to do. And having been in a position where I had already previously been shocked and come out of it and been perfectly okay and then made conscious decisions previously for changing jobs, changing companies, I was like, well, actually, it's not as bad as it seems. But I think it is the first time it happens to you, you go, gosh, what am I going to do? Okay, so you were going, you were going on, well, you were saying before how you really have to take control of your own destiny and take your your own career back in your own hands. How would you go about doing that, actually, after you've been made redundant? <laughs> I think certainly the way I approach it is being pig-headed and stubborn and just thinking, well, what is it I want? What is it makes me happy? What is it that I am looking for? And it, it is a complete not a mindset thing. And it, it does absolutely, you know, how you approach that is personal to everybody, both in how they would normally deal with big things happening in their life, whether they're positive or negative things. People always deal with them differently. And as well, it completely depends on your personal circumstances. You know, do you have a significant other and children you're the only breadwinner that would make it a lot a lot more scary but I think it is about being I do a lot of my but I'm very self-reflective and live in my own head a lot of the time which probably isn't the best way to do things but I also find writing things down well what is it that I'm happy with what is it I'm not happy with the things that I'm not happy with, can I do anything about them? Or is it just a case of, well, I've written them down and I've got them out of my head. That's fine. I can stop worrying them to death now. And it's then trying to have a look and see what you might want to do. But certainly in both times when I've decided to go back to university, actually the, the person who has sort of planted the idea in my head originally um, and said, well, you should go for it, is my sister. You know, so it is talking to those people that are close to you and know you and who not necessarily want to solve your problems, but will listen and possibly have a couple of things to suggest. So, for example, when I first went back to university at 26, I had gone to college when I was 16 to 18 and I was the first girl in the mechanical arena or the engineering arena that they'd ever had. And I think in the first year, they handed to me being a woman because they probably thought, she'll never make the second year. It's fine. We'll just accept it. The second year was significantly different, despite the fact that the vast majority of the lecturers were the same. But being 17 years old, I wasn't equipped to deal with the sexism that went on. And it meant that I didn't actually, because it was all getting me down and I didn't know how to deal with it, I didn't study as well as much as I should have in my final year. And I actually failed one of the subjects. So I couldn't get into university at that time. I didn't know anything about foundation years and the possibilities of that which obviously is you know, my bad because I could have done that years ago. And I refused to go back to the college to redo my final year. So I went out to work and got jobs and did everything from working in pubs and restaurants to local government. Was I happy? No. Was I earning money? Yeah. But I still had in my heart of hearts, that I wanted to do engineering. 
and that it was really what I wanted to do. So I had started to consider in my own head about doing night classes as a way to get my A-levels. And then once I had my A-levels, I could start looking at going to university, whether that be full-time, part-time, evenings or whatever. I had no clear plan. It was just the seeds of thought. And then unfortunately, my mum died and I was having a conversation with my sister about what I would do because I had been living at home with my mum at the time and travelling to work. And it was like, well, you know, so we needed to discuss what we were going to do with the house and what I was going to do. At which point I floated this conversation past my sister about, well, I was thinking about, and I've been thinking for a while about doing A-levels at night classes so I could go to university. My sister then was having a conversation with one of her friends and one of her friends said, oh, she'd be classed as a mature student these days. She might get in with, you know, just being older, <laughs> essentially. So my sister came back and said, well, have you actually spoken to any of the universities and see whether they would just take you with what you've got? And that was what I did. And it was like, well, actually, no, I'd never considered it because even though I was now 26, so I was still a lot older, still had no idea about foundation years at university and all this sort of thing. Still thought that I had to have A-levels. But I spoke to a couple of the local universities and one of them accepted me with absolutely open arms and said, yeah, not a problem. Come with us. We'll put you on a foundation year. See how you get on. Not a problem. The other one was a bit more staid and said, oh, yes, well, you'll have to go on a foundation year but you'll have to do remedial this and remedial that, remedial the other. And it really didn't seem a very encouraging environment. So I went to the one that was obviously more encouraging and, and came out with a 2-1 in mechanical engineering. So I was really very happy at that point. You know, so it is, to get back to the question, it's, I think it's about, you know, what is it, if, if you're faced with these things, everybody, I think I can probably safely say that everybody's got dreams in their heads everybody's got seeds of ideas that are already there about oh if only this or hmm, I'd really like to do that then it's about well maybe it's actually start having a look into you know if you do want to go to university or you want to retrain or whatever it might be whatever your dream is then actually it might not be as closed off as you think start messing around on the internet and seeing what options are there and having some discussions with people who might be able to say, well, actually, they might just take you as a mature student and and then someone who, who will be that supporter of you to say, yeah, go ahead. Not a problem. I'll help you. I'll support you in any way that I can. You know, so it, it it's, I think, certainly myself, I always start off by taking the weight of the world on my shoulder on my shoulders myself and I can understand that a lot of people do especially if you have dependents that you have to provide for but I think the the germs of the ideas are already in people's heads and if you're faced with the unfortunate circumstances of redundancy or something like that it's about not getting stuck in the negative it's about saying well actually how can I grow those seeds into achieving or getting me closer to that dream that I've got and seeing it as an opportunity to take that step. Okay. I never really thought about it like that. Sorry, that was a very long winded. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was amazing. It was amazing advice, actually. So have you ever worked abroad then? No, I haven't. Which... At the time, as I say, when I was at Shell, I had an opportunity to work abroad and it scared the living bejesus out of me. You know, so that was one of the things that, as I said earlier on, perhaps taking my destiny back into my own hands might not have been the best thing in my entire life. But staying in the country and staying in the area that I knew was much more comforting for me. And yeah, like everything, 
you know, I, I can't imagine there is a single person out there that has not made decisions in the life with the infinite, the, you know, the best decision that they or the, what they felt is the best decision at the time with the information they've got and then not thought about it weeks, months, years later and gone, well, that was stupid. <laughs> or, mm, well, I wonder what would have happened. But I think you can only, you, you can end up in a massive downward spiral and feeling really very sad and depressed and sorry for yourself if you go down that route. I think the only thing that you can do is, you know, if, if you do think that, is to think about, well, actually, what can I learn from it? Would it have been so scary to move abroad and, and work abroad for a few years? Would it have damaged my career? Would it have enhanced my career? Where might I have been today? But what was it that made me make that decision to, to stay in this country and to stay in Aberdeen? And was it the right thing at the time? And, and you know, as I say, moving abroad, you know, I'd moved from the northeast of England to the northeast of Scotland for work and I was by myself, you know, so I'd already set up and I did it a number of times over my career, you know, moved to different towns and areas and worked there and being completely by myself. And it's a pain in the backside, not having a support mechanism, not having people around you that, you know, not being able to go out to the pub with friends or go out for dinner. You have to start everything from scratch every time you move which I think is one of the reasons why I'm over the last few years I've been trying to get back home because at least then I have my family. But at least if I stayed in this country, yes, it may have been several hours of driving, but at least I could still see people that I knew. If I'd moved abroad, it would have been a lot more difficult. And I think that's ultimately where the fear came from of moving abroad is that, well, actually, I mean, you know, it's not just a whole new company. It's not just a whole new job. It's not just a whole new set of people that I have to get used to working with. I don't know anybody. And I have to find my way around and all that sort of stuff. So I think it was ultimately it was right for me. Yes, there are some times you see people on LinkedIn that I used to work with and they're swanning around all over the place. Oh, I'm so jealous. But... It's, it's got to be what's right for you. And then, as I say, if you regret or you think that you regret any of the decisions that you've made, it's about looking at it, you know, we're engineers. You know, we look at things logically and analytically, you know, so make a list. What, what was it that drew you to that decision? What information was it you knew at the time? And would it would you still have made that, that same decision based on the information you had at the time? Or is there something that you can go, well, actually, no, I'm not scared of moving abroad anymore. So yeah, if an opportunity came up, fabulous. Or, you know, and, and you can try and sort that out in your head to get you to a place where you're learning from the decisions that you've made in the past, rather than regretting them and getting down about it because there's nothing you can unfortunately you can't go back and change the decision no that's right do you think moving jobs has helped you I was going to say survive a, a, a redundancy but I don't even think that's the right thing you know what I mean I think I see what you're getting at and yes I think it's to a certain extent both times and either lucky or unlucky, whichever way you look at it, you know, to have been in a position of redundancy coming up, looming in twice in three years is probably more unusual. But I think, is it because I've moved jobs and moved companies and moved areas a number of times that moving again, jobs and home wasn't pain and pain in the backside but not scary yeah I think that helps being there done that got the t-shirt goodness knows how many removal companies have actually you know if they started giving you um, loyalty cards I'd probably you know get a free move out of it 
But, you know, so that helped. It takes all of that scariness away from it, the, the fear of the unknown, because you know you can do it. But also at both times, I had already had, you know, the last, the first time it happened, I had already been making steps to moving my home back to the northeast of England. I had already sold my house down in Yorkshire. I was only staying there during the week for work. And I was actively looking for a house in the northeast. So I was already progressing that way. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a complete bolt out of the blue. The, the reorganisation, the fact that there was redundancy, redundancies going on was ab- ab- absolutely a bolt out of the blue. It wasn't something I was ex- expecting. But I had already started positioning myself as moving within three to five years anyway. So it was just, it gave me an opportunity to move that time scale up. Did things did things pan out exactly as I had hoped? No. But that's where your resilience comes in and you just go, well, well I just need to go out and work and get a job. So I applied for a number of jobs, got one. Was it in the northeast of England? No, it wasn't. So it was like, ugh. But even at that point, it wasn't, it was still in my head that, yeah, okay, I'm going to take this job because it's a job. It's something I want to do. It sounds interesting, looks interesting. And I can still progress my plans for moving back to the northeast in three to five years. You know, so so again, that was still in the back of my head when the redundancies came up the second time. So it's like, well, no, actually, I'm going to I'm going to do it. I've been thinking about going into renewables for a number of years, even before I was made redundant the first time. So it was like, well, you know, yes, I can sit on the job market. I can try and get a job. But as is that actually going to make me happy? Because ultimately the last job, yeah, it was a job. It was interesting. It was learning something new, but it was still on the same hamster wheel of maintenance and reliability. Yes, a different industry, but it was all just very, very samey, you know, and it was like, no, I really want to change. I really need to have a refresh. And yes, you know, my skill set, is completely transferable into different industries. I really want to get into renewables, but actually, do I just do I just want to do maintenance and reliability in renewables? It's going to look much the same as it is here in manufacturing. Same same stuff, different day. Well, actually, let's look at exploring the the potential for getting into either research or design or project work, which is something that I haven't really done before. I did a stint of it in Shell as part of my graduate training. And at that point, I wasn't interested in projects because it, was, it wasn't solving real life right now problems. It was solving hypothetical problems that will come about in a hypothetical number of years. And it just didn't seem exciting. It just wasn't interesting. It wasn't exciting enough for me at the time. But again, I think this is where then where age comes in and, and you start to change what you want, what interests you, what excites you. And now I can start seeing myself moving more into project work, you know, but to move into project work, to move into design. You know, I haven't done. Yes, I did it as part of my degree, but that was 20 years ago. I really need to be going back to university to then study the latest technology, the latest things, you know, what is happening in the world of renewables. How do you design a wind wind turbine so that I can then position myself in a much better place for getting, you know, for either work moving into research or project work in renewables rather than being on exactly the same hamster wheel but just in a different industry okay that's good advice do you think that there is such a thing as a perfect job no (laughs) or a perfect company no i would certainly say it could just be that i'm completely picky you know everyone says oh you know if you do something that you love you'll never work a day in your life rubbish 
there will always be days where it is hard, where it is soul destroying, where it you you just want to go home, bury your head in the duvet and cry yourself to sleep. For me, it's about finding a job and a company where those days are few and far between. Um, and then your pleasurable days, your enjoyable days are more. And they are the ones, they are the things that carry you through the bad days, as well as your support, your support system that you've got with your friends and your family and stuff like that. But not every day will be perfect. Not every day will be joyous, you know, even to the point where, you know, there's some things that I always do and I always try and encourage my staff to do over the years as well, is that if your job is particularly or on days when it's particularly hard, when, you know, if you're in a position where maybe it's for the last four weeks or something, nothing seems to have gone right. You've got a to-do list that you go into psyched up to, to start working through on a day and three weeks later, you still haven't even touched it. You know, not a single thing has come off there. That can be soul-destroying. I certainly find it is. And it doesn't really put me in a position for thinking, yay, look, my alarm clock's gone off again. Let's get up and do it all over again. And it's at times like that that you have to, you know, your to-do list might be quite big things like write a procedure on X or rebrand the company or fix this machine that hasn't been working for decades. You know, one single line, few words, but actually massive chips. And if you get into a position, I always find if I get into a position where I feel as though I'm not achieving anything, and if I'm not achieving anything, then it depresses me and I don't I really don't enjoy work at all, especially if it happens for a long period of time. So what I always do is try to take a few minutes at the end of the day or during the day, even to write down in a diary or something like that, something that you have achieved. Now, it may be something small, like I updated the action tracker today. It may be that I replied to that email that's been sitting in my inbox and I've been avoiding. doesn't have to be big stuff. But if you start putting those down, either at the end of the day or as you do them on a list, you can then reflect, you can then see, instead of your to-do list, which is sitting on one side of you, where nothing gets, it, it's just the... Nothing gets done and it's just taunting you. And, you know, you go, well, I must be really rubbish because I'm not getting anywhere near anything on that. But then you can see things that you have achieved and then you can go, well, actually, no. Yes, I have, absolutely. I haven't achieved anything on my to-do list. But the reason I haven't done that is because I've done all of these things. And these were all things that needed to be done. And yes, they may all be individually very small things. But I would bet the I have achieved today or this week list will be a lot longer than the I haven't done today or this week list. So then you start feeling as though you've achieved something, which then always motivates me to then go, no, I can do this. I am capable of doing it. I just need to either work from home for a day so people can't just you know see me and interact with me and distract me so I can get some of this big stuff done but I'm happy to do that because I've sorted out all of these small problems which will keep my team functioning you know because as well if I if you're managing a team of people no matter whether it's three or 30 people if I'm stuck away trying to do one big task that, yes, ultimately in six months time, you know, if I write a new procedure in, and then I've got to roll it out to them in six months time might make the life a lot easier. But while I'm doing that, I haven't sorted out assigning people tasks. I haven't sorted out the action trackers. I haven't sorted out the expenses or, you know, approving the expenses or holidays or 
done the any number of tiny small things that will enable the people that work for me to do their job and carry on. Then I would come back and yes, I've got this brand new flashy procedure, but 30 people have been sat doing nothing for the period of time I've been doing it. And it's trying to remember that and put it into perspective. So I think, no, there's not a perfect job. There will always be bad days, but it's how you deal with those bad days. And whenever I get to the point where the bad days outweigh the good, or I really am struggling to see why I'm bothering, am I achieving anything? Am I doing myself or the company any good? Or is it just that I feel as though I'm treading water every day? Is then when I start thinking, well, actually, what is it? Is it the job? Is it the company? Because sometimes you know, you'll start working for a company and they appear to tick all of the boxes about how, you know, what you prefer, what your values are in life and that sort of thing. And they may well actually tick all those boxes, but two or three years down the line, when there's been a number of position changes, you know, people changing, especially in the higher business, higher up in the business or They've had the consultants in and they've decided that they want to go to a whole new way of working, which, you know, if if those don't, if how the company is evolving is to something that you don't agree with or rubs up against your own personal values, then it's time to look for a different company. And I think, you know, that's, I think, what... A number of people do sometimes is they go, well, you know, 20 years ago, this company was great. Now I hate it, but they're still there. And I always think, well, why? Because all you're doing is upsetting yourself and, you know, adding to the stress of work and all this sort of stuff by being in a place where you really don't like. So, no, there's no perfect job. There's no perfect company, but some are better than others and some will grow to not be what you want. It might be that they change. It might be that your outlook needs change. And at that point, you've got to recognise it and find something that does fit you better. You can only make your working life as least painful as possible. Okay. I was going to ask ask you, actually, have you ever started, have you ever, after being interviewed for a job, then started and then it might not have been as you expected it to be or as the, the employer said. And how do how would you handle that? Yes, to the first part of the question, there are always things that aren't as the same when you join a company. And I think as well, you know, if you go in and you think that they are going to be exactly as they portray themselves during the interview, you're just setting yourself up for, you know, disappointment. But it depends on how bad it is and, and how different it is. And then ultimately what it is that, what was the reasoning for taking the job in the first place? You know, if it was, for example, well, actually, I really need to eat this month. Therefore, yeah, go and look for another job. Make sure that you've got an honest but acceptable story to explain when you're going for your next interviews, because someone will ask you, well, you only moved three months ago or six months ago. Why are you um, moving again? You can be honest. But if you're too brutally honest, you'll you'll not get it. But you can always spin a story to have a slightly more positive outlook on it. It's like, you know, you can't go in. I wouldn't suggest anyone goes in and goes, oh, my God, it was an absolute nightmare of a place and wasn't what I wanted. So, you know, ew, that's not going to win you any brownie points in your next interview. But you can go, well, actually... I did take it because times were desperate at the time. When I got there, you know, so perhaps I wasn't in the best place, a frame of mind for picking the job in the first place. Um, so I selected it for the wrong reasons. And, you know, I really need to, to make changes to that now or something along those lines to, yes, you're being honest. It's not what you want, but 
you're not being brutal about it. So people will go, well, yeah, okay. I can understand that because I think most people have been there and will give you the benefit of the doubt and you'll have a better opportunity for finding a new role. But I certainly wouldn't suggest to anybody that just because something might look bad on your CV about moving frequently or, you know, whatever, unless it is absolutely systemic, you know, that through your entire 30-year career, you've moved every six months, that may show some red flags when people are looking at your CV. But if you've done it a couple of times and you can have a reasonably well thought out answer for it, then it's it's not a problem. I wouldn't I would not advocate anybody to stay in a job or a company that they really don't like for a significant period of time purely because it might look bad on the CV. Because it will just it it will be, you know, soul destroying completely. And then you're not in a mentally fit state to make a good decision about the next job that you take either. And you've probably been a nightmare to live with and you've had no fun in your life and you, you know, you're just not in the right frame of mind. So I don't think that you should stay where you're not happy. I think that's really good advice, actually. So I'm going to wrap up because I've been talking for an hour, actually. <laughs> and you, yeah, no, and you said that you didn't think you were going to be able to talk. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what advice, what advice would you have for anybody going through the same situation? Redundancies or going to university or probably just being an engineer? Nah, probably all of them, actually. <laughs> probably if they're maybe going through a redundancy or maybe have that maybe looming over their head. I think it is. As I said earlier on, I think it is about, you know, taking a deep breath. It happens, unfortunately, and it does get easier if you, I do I do feel certainly with people that I've seen go through it, if it's the first time they're going through it, something like that, it is terrifying. So if there is some, you know, if you are going through it and there are people who are your support mechanism around you at home and what have you, or you've got people at work that you can speak to who have been through it before, speak to them and listen. You don't have to believe and agree with everything that anybody tells you, but if they can give you a fraction of comfort or, you know, take away just a little bit of that angst, because they can say, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yes, it's scary at the beginning, but when you come out of it at the other end, actually it's great. You know, it, it didn't kill me, it didn't nearly kill me or anything like that. Then I think that takes away some of the pain and the anxiety around it. But as well, what is it that you've sat and thought about either in the evenings or the weekends Or when you're on holiday and you've thought, I'd really like that. You know, if I won the, you know, what are the things that you've been thinking about if I won the lottery tomorrow? You know, I'm not talking about if you won millions and millions and therefore didn't have to work again. But say you won half a million on the lottery. It's a life changing amount of money. But if you're relatively young, it's not going to, you know, it's not as though you can just give up work and, go and live the high life for, you know, you know, your remaining 20 or 30 years of life. But you'll have some thoughts about what you want to do. If, you know, and, and start thinking about those sort of things. Well, what, what is it, you know, if I didn't have a mortgage or I didn't have this or I didn't have that or whatever, what what are the things that you want to do? What What is it that springs to your mind of, oh, I'd really like to do that? And yes, I'm not saying that, you know, anyone's going to get a payout of half a million pounds in um, a redundancy. But then start thinking about, well, actually, what is it I need to live as well? Because we all get to the point where we live up to our income. But actually, do we need it? Really? You know, do we do we need to spend that much money? So then that starts bringing your expectations down about, well, actually, what is it? 
that I can not survive on because nobody wants to just survive, but what would make me happy? What's the minimum I need, you know, the minimum I need to make, you know, to have a good life? And then that starts opening up opportunities because then you might go, well, actually, I don't need the salary that I've got. So then all of a sudden, the salary that you would get from what your dream would be to do if you won half a million and your mortgage was paid off, then actually those two things possibly could be closer together, which then means that, well, why not go for it? Take the opportunity of getting the redundancy to use that money to retreat or to pay off some of the mortgage or will look to move into something smaller if you don't need the 10-bedroom house that you're rattling around in by yourself, for example, and, and start you know, looking at it from both sides. What would make me happy? What, what would, you know, rather than just feeling that fear and going, I really need to get back out into the marketplace and I need to get exactly the same job and then find out on the other side of it that, well, actually, I'm just on the same hamster wheel just for a different organisation or in a different industry. And I'm still actually not going home any happier at night or, you know, I'm not relaxing until Saturday night. And all of a sudden, then Sunday, I wake up and it's like, Ugh, I have to go to work tomorrow. And those sort of things are much more detrimental to not only your physical health and your mental health, but your outlook on life as well. And if you're not enjoying, we spend so many hours at work. If we, if we, if they're bad hours, then you're not really any company, and you don't want to go out. You don't want to have fun. But they are the things that will reinvigorate us and regenerate us for time at work. So if you're faced with redundancy or it's looming, start having a think about what it, my advice would be. Start having a think about what you really want to do. What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? And actually, are they really that far away? Because I think if we all sat down and thought about it, spoke to the right people who could possibly give us some advice, that they're probably not that far away. I think that's amazing advice, actually. I think it is. Here endeth the lesson on how to be made redundant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. I'm going to wrap it up. Okay, that's all the questions I have for today. I would like to thank Madri for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you, Michelle. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.